Okay, listeners, welcome back. Welcome back. So we're going to go as in continuation, Mayot, the 11 laws of God. We're on now chapter two. The law of Uman, spear zero of the tree of life, the proof of God's existence. There is a world of difference in being able to say that you believe in God's existence versus saying that you know that God exists. The difference is not readily apparent to most people as they do not have keen understanding of the meaning of the word belief. So let's just say that there is a pot of beans on the stove and it usually takes between 60 to 90 minutes to thoroughly cook this type of bean. So what would be your response if asked if the beans are thoroughly cooked at the 60 minute point and you could not actually check the beans? They only have the time estimate to suggest an answer. So as there is an obvious element of doubt due to the absence of evidence, you can only answer with, I don't know, or I believe so, or it is possible, or maybe not, etc. And let's just say that you are given in a multiple choice of tests in which your life depends on the correct answer. You are asked to choose the correct answer to the question above. Statement A, I know that the beans are thoroughly cooked. Statement B, I believe that the beans are thoroughly cooked. And since the element suggests that the beans could be cooked, B is the correct choice. So while it is easy to see in this example and many others like that we express beliefs when we lack proof and are thus not able to say that we know, most believe that they cannot see the principle when they express belief in God's existence, as opposed to expressing that they do know, have proof that God exists. Now, to say I believe is to say I don't know. So before you rush to say that you do know, let's understand that the expression of knowledge requires given proof. And proof requires the presentation of evidence that must be universally acceptable to everyone. Evidence that cannot be argued away. It is because of this evidence that we know and that we don't have to believe in anything else, that we have this existence. It is because of evidence that we know and don't believe in existence of sea mammals, dinosaurs, volcanoes, et cetera, et cetera, right? But we don't believe that if we make contact with a certain amount of electrical voltage for a certain amount of time, that it will kill us. We know because we've seen. Now, to clearly understand these differences, it is important to note that when we experience an object, there is always the properties of object itself, the object inside. And our ideals and feelings about the object or the subjective side, in other words, the object is as it is, is independent of us. And what is in the mind of the subject dependent on us. Now, to one person, the day would be warm, and to another, it will be hot, and then they can argue for days about and never agree. This is the natural of uh, this is the nature of subjective expressions when you're speaking to other people. It's gonna always be some kind of subjective in there, you know. On the other hand, they will always have a way to agree if it is at 70 degrees objective expression. When our express, excuse me, when our experiences of the world is expressed in objective language, we must all agree because we are making a statement that denotes this object as it is or agree with a universal 
expect standard or universally recognized category. <clears throat> so when we use subjective language, many will disagree because the statement denotes what we think or how we feel, which can also be different for a speaker at another time. Subjective expressions are therefore categorized as beliefs, while objective expressions are categorized as knowledge. So with this understanding in place, we must look at the fact that most religions have explained in, in um, have failed excuse me, to explain God's being in an objective manner that all would have to agree. So you say you believe or have faith because you can't explain something or a process with the objectivity universal agreement that accompanies the subjection of water to 32 degrees to get ice. And since you can't say that, you know, there's always room for doubt and belief, always room for faith to be shaken, or as most people do, simply go about their lives in a fashion that does not in reality take into account their belief in God or the religion's doctrines, despite the lip service. Now, how, for example, can a scientist, so-called, be comfortable with the declaration of belief in God, yet support a theory of creation that does not or cannot objectively, universally agreeable manner, place God at the helm of creation? So how can a politician declare God to be the ruler of the world, yet separate the, separate the state from the God, leave God out of the school and government? Now, could it be neither no God or science? Should God be the dominant factor in the lives of religious or spiritual people? An in-depth analysis of people's lives will show that this is not so. While most critics try to lay the blame on the peoples themselves, charging them with hypocrisy, uh, the blame rests, and with the religious and spiritual systems themselves. What role? What role? What role does God play in a person's life depends on whether the person believes in God being or has knowledge of God's being. Now, one of the greatest damage to the world was the declaration by Westerns. The Western scientists thought that science contradicts religion, that one of the greatest advancements in man's intelligence, in fact, a miracle, occurred when the Greeks told God out of the picture of creation, they literally took him out, excuse me, so to account for the absence of an intelligent being responsible for creation, Western scientists invented the concept of chance and random activity. So my answer to such notions is that the Greeks unwittingly managed to separate defective views about science from defective views about God, and no one noticed. The fact is that the more you understand logic, mathematics, science, and the closer you do understand those, you will get to God. So we will begin our inductive quest with the consideration of two Western concepts. Now, the first concept states that the creation of matter and the world beginning with the Big Bang gases as a result of certain forces acting upon the exploded, generating a great amount of heat that upon cooling down formed the elements. Now, first hydrogen was created and then helium and so on. The second concept states that the elements so produced came together by chance and formed living things, which in the course of time created intelligence. 
Now, what would be your conclusion if you traveled to a distance uninhibited planet and found a stack of bricks exactly alike in size and weight, some set up accordingly to the geometric series, while another group was arranged to make the letters of the alphabet? Why you, would you not conclude that the same intelligent being out there before you and was responsible for this arrangement? So somehow scientists have missed the fact that following the Big Bang, the creation of elements proceeded accordingly to restrict mathematical rules. All elements are made up of the same components, just configuredly differently. The progression from one element to the next follows a strict mathematical pattern in which the other underlying properties of each element are repeated in the elements eight places away. This silk or periodic return of qualities is the basis of arranging the elements into the periodic elemental table. So we must also note that although each element is different, their structure all follow the same pattern. The fundamental unit of the element is the atom. And an atom are composed of positively charged particles named protons, neutral particles named neutrons, which together occupy the center of the atom, the nucleus. Swirling around nucleus are negatively charged particles named as electrons. So what I want you to call your attention to next is the configurization of these electrons. Um, they swirl around in the nucleus in different orbits called shells. And we're going to get into those shells. We're going to get into the shells that holds a maximum of two electrons, the second eight, and the third 18, the fourth, and the 32nd. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Journal News Show. We were previously speaking about God's creation and the proof that God does exist. We are reading from the Mayat, the Living Laws of God, by the author of Ra'un Nefer Amen. Again, peace, hotep, and blessings, and thank you for joining us again tonight. So speaking on those electrons, neutrons, electrons, then that's going around the nucleus itself. So this gives us the mathematical series. Um, 2, 8, 18, 32, again, we get to that 256 sets. So what is remarkable in the above arrangement is that the various elements, the iron, the gold, etc., which are composed of different configurations of the above particles, follow the same pattern as shown above when arranged on the periodic table of the elements. Now, for those of my podcast listeners, I will have a video shortly illustrated on this um, theory. I don't think we may or may not need to, so we'll stay forward on that to see if we need more explanations. Again, I do appreciate your feedback, comments, as well as emails to let me know where exactly you guys are missing, what I need to explain, and how I can read to you better. Thank you again for listening. So what is remarkable in the above arrangement is that the various elements, the iron, the gold, etc., which are composed of the different configurations of the above particles follows, that the same pattern as shown above when arranged on the periodical table of all the elements on there. So we find that the same shaping force that is responsible for the creation of shells that hold the electrons organizes this, this distribution of elements in nature so that they show the same arrangement in the periodic table. Thus, we find in distribution of the elements that they follow the same 2, 8, 18, 32 series. In the first row, if you're able to look at a periodic element chart, 
we have two elements, hydrogen and helium. And in rows two and three, we find eight elements in each row. In rows four and five, we find 18 elements in each row. In six, we find 32 elements. In row seven, we find 23 elements. The last row does not break the pattern. It just contains elements that are so unstable that the limit of integration has been reached before reaching the 32nd possible element. It is as known if the atoms took, taken as a whole were all electrons swirling around some unknown nuclear force, gravity perhaps, as what Unefra goes on to explain. So all this is very interesting, but we are not interested in chemistry at this point. So remember your conclusion about those neatly arranged blocks you found on planet X. What we have here is the fact that long before living things could even have come into creation or even be able to create intelligence, there is something acting in an intelligent, very intelligent way in the creation of atoms and the elements. So one thing is for a pattern so to be occurred as an organizational force inside the atom. So seeing it acting again as an organization force outside the atom reinforces the idea of an organizational intelligence presence is at work. It is so beautiful. I look at that when I'm, I speak about the call too, which is the duality of men. So when it takes the immaterial versus the material. So the immaterial is self and non-identity when uh, it moves and gets into the material side, you're speaking of spirit, not self, and non-identity. Within that, it almost looks like a carbon chart to me, um, like a euro sign, because it holds the be, the me, the cre, ka, be, ra, which if we look at the elemental chart on the periodic tables, that would be the linear, that would be beryllium, magnesium, calcium, strontium, strontium, um, barium, and radium in that area. So, as Einstein puts it together, it could be very, very emotional. So, seeing it acting as that is, we have what we have here, as we said before, one thing is for a pattern to occur as an organizational force inside the atom, but seeing it acting again as an organizational force outside the atom reinforces the idea of an organizing intelligent presence at work. I wanted to explain that again because, again, we have to have definite proof that God exists. You can't go around saying he doesn't exist when we have definite facts of how God exists. And again, we are gods and God exists. But again, following that Big Bang Theory, which is not a simple cooling down process from which the various atoms are created or however else scientists may discover that creation takes place. So what is a fact, however, the process occurs is that there is a numerical basis on it. So there is evidence of intelligence behind. The problem with Western men is that he has this greatest problem understanding that the existence of an intelligent presence lacking a physical or material body and intelligence that precedes the creates a physical thing so there's no justification to think that this cannot be, and there's no evidence to contradict its existence. But on the contrary, 
there is evidence staring at us right now in the face, though, at least belief on the ponder on its presence. Okay. However, Westerners choose to find God to themselves as their prerogative. We apprehend God's being in the same way that we do to the movement that is responsible for sound, which is generated by the conclusion of molecules set in motion by the moving. The moving what? So we perceive God's presence through its intelligence. It is the intelligence behind all of the laws of nature, which can be understood through quantitative logic or quantitative logic mathematics. So God is the intelligent being, being responsible for behavior of inanimate and living things. Scientists must deal with this or come up with a credible explanation for the source of this intelligence or dismiss it on the grounds that it does not exemplify any intelligence. If that were the case. But in the Big Bang Theory account of creation, we saw that long before the first atom was created, let alone the creation of living things out of the combination of atoms. There is intelligence at work in the world designing and guiding the process of creation. Scientists miss another stupendous opportunity to perceive God's being. They claim that like the creation of the universe, life also came into being from a special chance combination of molecules and later on brought consciousness and intelligence like an excretion, I suppose, into existence. So let's take a deeper look at what science has discovered about the foundation of living things. The idea that living things came into being as the result of a chance combination of molecules derived its strength from the beliefs. There goes the unreliable factor again, though, okay? So that what, what distinguishes living matter from inmate matter? What's the irritability? The responsiveness is to the environment. So uh, the former, we call this inability, translated somehow as its ability to adapt to the environment through feeding, through growth, through mobility, reproduction, and the host of metabolic functions that are characteristics now of living things. The idea of the foundation of life was in the irritability of living matter, protoplasm, could have been excused until 1953 when J.D. Watson and F.H. Crick, two scientists at Cambridge University, discovered that the phenomena that characterizes the expression of living things is based on four proteins, and that's ADN or AD9, the designated to molecular biology as A, the mine, T, guanine, G, and cytosine, C. These four chemicals, which account for all the structural and functional phenomena and living things, accomplish their go through a strict and complex mathematical process. All four are arranged three at a time as a double-stranded helix in different ways to form another molecule. So DNA, which is the fundamental unit underlying the genes, their arrangement yields 64 combinations out of which the vast diversity of living forms in nature is produced. The conclusion is that the information designed pattern, mathematical thinking, and not irritability are at the foundation of the creation of living matter. 
not a simple living form could come into being without this complex, very complex mathematical design as its foundation. So we must conclude that this is in its intelligence that created living things and not the other way around. As this intelligence does not have a body, what? Who is it? What is the extent of this intelligence? Do scientists have proof of this omniscience? Omniscience, excuse me. So what scientists have learned from nature to what is there to be known is like a grain of sand to the universe. So as we conclude, we'll go and speak about that a little bit more, but we'll take a quick break and I'll be back with you in just a moment. Thank you for joining me again. I'd like to break this up because we're going to finish. Uh, because there's so many more phenomenal books by Raul Nefer Amen. Again, I am reading from Mayat, Living Laws of God by Raul Nefer Amen. Again, my name is Juno New from the Cozy Love Show. Thank you again for joining us. So we were speaking of, again, is the existence of God and how we, uh, the Westerners, are putting the information together, but they still don't have enough theory and you know, they're not equating it right. So again, I'm gonna go ahead and follow this again as a reading verbatim through this book. I love the way this man writes. Alrighty. So where things occur, that is, action takes place, there must be energy at work. Okay. And I think we learned this on one of my other pod, um if you look at my channel, we explain Einstein's theory behind, behind E equals MC squared. In the process of creation of the world and of all living things, it is clear that the intelligence is guiding the energy that is responsible for carrying out the work. Okay? The, uh, this bodiless power is the spirit of God. With this in mind, it would be foolish to ignore the fact that behind the intelligence and energy at work there must be a bodiless consciousness with a bodiless, with that, all that, a purpose. The evidence for its existence is logically deductible from mathematics. So do you have to see, hear, feel, taste, or smell God? Has anyone experienced gravity as a force of attraction between themselves and any other body. Yet the law of gravitation says that any two masses in the universe attract each other with a force, F. F, that is the quantifiable mathematical expression in the following formula, F equals big G, small M, big M, divided by small R squared. So, where F is the force, small m, is the mass of the object, and m is the mass of the Earth, where R is the distance from the center of Earth to the object, and G is the constant under all conditions. Now, I'm giving this example to bring home the point that we cannot understand gravity without what is evidence from mathematics for the fact that the operative factors are beyond the grasp of the senses. The, the scientist's ability to understand the forces of gravitation in order to project missiles into outer space and so on was not derived from the sense experience of weight, 
which is the common experience of gravity. So in fact, we don't experience weight as the operation of an attractive force. The same applies to the knowledge of the existence of God as evidenced by mathematics. It allows us to acquire knowledge of the existence of all quantifiable events that cannot be perceived through the senses. This is what was meant 3,653 years ago by the comedic sages Hamms when he wrote as the introduction to his reissue of a mathematical papyrus. So Eric Lee called the Renhin papyrus after a collector from England that was possible several thousand years older, okay, and the following accurate rules of reckoning for inquiring into things and the knowledge of all things mysterious and all secrets. Secrets, secrets refer to the operation of nature and in mysteries, refer to the existence of ways of God and the spirit. So secrets. So the point is driven home by the understanding that we are able to think mathematically because we have been endowed with the capacity to do so by God. So we could have been made dumb and totally insensible to such notions like asses and all other creatures. But where this, so the mathematical patterns come in play, it underlines the creation of physical matter and living things would still be there. It is totally escaping the understanding of Western scientists that have this scientific thinking is the expression of the ability to recognize the quantifiable side of the world. But quantitatively reasoning the backbone of science is nothing more than a man's thinking following the manner in which processes occur in the world. So if nature was not built on quantifiable patterns, then quantitative reasoning about nature events would be totally useless and foolish, right? So man does not create or invent science. Scientists do not invent, they discover the science. They discover the information. They discover what is stored into nature. So he or she learns it from nature and it is an embodiment of God's designing intelligence. So we will later see that in the addition to our intelligence to discern the secret and mysterious things in the world coming from God in our consciousness, our will and our spiritual power, and that these are equally beyond the ability of the senses to perceive. This is the great part. Because now we're going to break down all men. All men is a command word that means concealed and imperceptible. It is used to denote the imperceptibilities of God whose existence can be proven through logical deductions drawn from the intelligence underlying nature, as early shown. It is also used to denote the uh, um, imperceptibility of the self, our consciousness, due to its immateriality. Our immateriality. So that immaterialism again, that's the, um, the self, the non-identity, the will. As a major goal of our spiritual cultivation is to experience the reality that you are the consciousness that perceives thoughts, emotions, and the various things that the five senses convey, let's say six, from the physical world, yet you as the consciousness itself cannot be perceived. So as you are devoid of energy, you manifest no emotions. So when you have no emotions, as you are devoid of energy, you manifest nothing. 
So man's, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. So man's spirit, the subconsciousness, is essentially unconditioned at this point. It has no way of moving. It hasn't even been formatted to move yet. So this is to say that our emotional reactions are not expressions of our nature and that our emotional reactions are not expressions of our nature, but are being as conditions by experience. So the emotions that you see by our nature are perceived in a physical body. So what is it referred to as? I. I is nothing then that can be perceived. It is not in thy mind, verbal thoughts, and images, sensations, emotions, nor the body. So devoid of energy, emotion, al, content, the al, the itself in the self is peaceful by nature. I'll read that again. As you are devoid of energy, you manifest no emotions. So in this example he uses, the man's spirit is subconscious right now. It's essentially unconditioned again. So this is to say that our emotional reactions are not expressions of our nature, but are being as conditioned by experiences. Experiences. So the emotions that you perceive occur in the physical body, but what is referred to as I is nothing that can be perceived. It is not in the mind. Again, the verbal thoughts and images, sensations, emotions, there's no other body. But again, the void of the energy, emotional content, the I, the self, is peaceful by nature. So all the emotions and sensations are events that take place in the lower part of the spirit, the not self. That's the material part of it. So this is the reason behind the non-university, non-universality of likes and dislikes, pleasure and pain. We all know that what you like or dislike or experience as pain or pleasure are at a particular moment in your life can be transcended. All emotions and sensory responses are nothing more than conditional responses superimposed uh, imposed on the original undifferentiated nature of the spirit. So accordingly, the law of the Uman part of the being states that peace is the natural essential and true emotional state of man's being. Establishing and maintaining it in all situations is the principal key to success in life. I'm going to stop right there. We'll take a little break here. You guys come back to me. Again, thank you for joining the Journal News Show. Peace, hope, tough, and blessings. Thank you for joining me again. I'd like to break this up because we're going to finish. Uh, because there's so many more phenomenal books by Ra'u Nefer Amen. And again, I am reading from Mayat, Living Laws of God by Ra'u Nefer Amen. Again, my name is Jun Anu from the Cozy Love Show. Thank you again for joining us. So we were speaking of, again, is the existence of God and how we, uh, the Westerners, are putting the information together, but they still don't have enough theory and you know they're not equating it right so again i'm gonna go ahead and follow this again as i'm reading verbatim through this book because i love the way this man writes Alrighty. so where things occur that is actions takes place there must be energy at work 
Okay. And I think we learned this on one of my other pot. Um, if you look at my channel, we explained Einstein's theory behind, behind E equals MC squared. In the process of creation of the world and of all living things, it is clear that the intelligence is guiding the energy that is responsible for carrying out the work. Okay. The, uh, this bodiless power is the spirit of God. With this in mind, it would be foolish to ignore the fact that behind the intelligence and energy at work, there must be a bodiless consciousness with a bodiless, with that, all that a purpose. The evidence for its existence is logically deductible from mathematics. So do you have to see, hear, feel, taste, or smell God? Has anyone experienced gravity as a force of attraction between themselves and any other body? Yet the law of gravitation says that any two masses in the universe attract each other with a force, F. F, that is the quantifiable mathematical expression in the following formula, F equals big G, small m, big M, divided by small r squared. So where F is the force, small m is the mass of the object, and m is the mass of the earth, where r is the distance from the center of earth to the object. And G is the constant under all conditions. Now, I'm giving this example to bring home the point that we cannot understand gravity without what is evidence from mathematics for the fact that the operative factors are beyond the grasp of the senses. The, the scientist's ability to understand the forces of gravitation in order to project missiles into outer space and so on was not derived from the sense experience of weight, which is the common experience of gravity. So in fact, we don't experience weight as the operation of an attractive force. The same applies to the knowledge of the existence of God as evidenced by mathematics. It allows us to acquire knowledge of the existence of all quantifiable events that cannot be perceived through the senses. This is what was meant 3,653 years ago by the comedic sages Hamms when he wrote as the introduction to his reissue of a mathematical papyrus. So Eric Lee called the Renhin papyrus after a collector from England that was possible several thousand years older, okay, and the following accurate rules of reckoning for inquiring into things and the knowledge of all things mysterious and all secrets. Secrets, secrets refer to the operation of nature and in mysteries, refer to the existence of ways of God and the spirit. So secrets. So the point is driven home by the understanding that we are able to think mathematically because we have been endowed with the capacity to do so by God. So we could have been made dumb and totally insensible to such notions like asses and all other creatures. But where this, so the mathematical patterns come in play, it underlines the creation of physical matter and living things would still be there. 
it is totally escaping the understanding of Western scientists that have this scientific thinking is the expression of the ability to recognize the quantifiable side of the world. But quantitatively reasoning, the backbone of science is nothing more than a man's thinking following the manner in which processes occur in the world. So if nature was not built on quantifiable patterns, then quantitative reasoning about nature events would be totally useless and foolish, right? So man does not create or invent science. Scientists do not invent, they discover the science. They discover the information. They discover what is stored into nature. So he or she learns it from nature and it is an embodiment of God's designing intelligence. So we will later see that in the addition to our intelligence to discern the secret and mysterious things in the world coming from God in our consciousness, our will and our spiritual power and that these are equally beyond the ability of the senses to perceive. This is the great part. Because now we're gonna break down on men. Amen is a command word that means concealed and imperceptible. It is used to denote the imperceptibilities of God whose existence can be proven through logical deductions drawn from the intelligence underlying nature, as early shown. It is also used to denote the imperceptibility of the self, our consciousness, due to its immaterialty, our immaterialty. So that immaterialism again, that's the, um, the self, the non-identity, the will, as a major goal of our spiritual cultivation is to experience the reality that you are the consciousness that perceives thoughts, emotions, and the various things that the five senses convey, let's say six, from the physical world, yet you as the consciousness itself cannot be perceived. So as you are devoid of energy, you manifest no emotions. So... When you have no emotions, as you are devoid of energy, you manifest nothing. So man's, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. So man's spirit, the subconsciousness, is essentially unconditioned at this point. It has no way of moving. It hasn't even been formatted to move yet. So this is to say that our emotional reactions are not expressions of our nature and that our emotional reactions are not expressions of our nature, but are being as conditions by experience. So the emotions that you see by our nature are perceived in a physical body. So what is it referred to as? I. I is nothing then that can be perceived. It is not in thy mind, verbal thoughts and images, sensations, emotions, nor the body. So devoid of energy, emotion, al, content, the al, the itself in the self is peaceful by nature. I'll read that again. As you are devoid of energy, you manifest no emotions. So this example he uses, the man's spirit is subconscious right now. He's essentially unconditioned again. So this is to say that our emotional reactions are not expressions of our nature, but are being as conditioned by experiences. Experiences. So the emotions that you perceive occur in the physical body, but what is referred to as I is nothing that can be perceived. It is not in the mind. 
again, the verbal thoughts and the images, sensations, emotions, there's no other body. But again, the void of the energy, emotional content, the I, the self is peaceful by nature. So all the emotions and sensations are events that take place in the lower part of the spirit, the not self. That's the material part of it. So this is the reason behind the non-university, non-universality of likes and dislikes, pleasure and pain. We all know that what you like or dislike or experience as pain or pleasure are at a particular moment in your life can be transcended. All emotions and sensory responses are nothing more than conditional responses, superimposed uh, imposed on the original undifferentiated nature of the spirit. So accordingly, the law of the Uman part of the being states that peace is the natural, essential and true emotional state of man's being. Establishing and maintaining it in all situations is the principal key to success in life. I'm going to stop right there. We'll take a little break here. And you guys come back to me. Again, thank you for joining the Journal News Show. Peace, hope, tap, and blessings. All right, thank you again for joining me. Again, we are reading from Mayan, the Living Laws of God by Ru Ra'u Nefer Amen. We'll go back on that when we're speaking. Applied to the daily living, it means that our natural responses to all events in life is peace. Peace is the face of the most difficult challenges in the face of the threat of death, in the face of the most imaginable inhuman treatment. You know, I mean... It is this that made Amen the highest aspect of God 14 in the Kemetic religion. We will later see how the manifestations of all spiritual powers in men depend on his or her ability to remain at peace. Hotep, Hetep, Marina. True to her or his nature in the midst of life's most difficult challenges. I always say on my podcast, as well as my Instagram, like change does not happen overnight. We have been (laughs) fed wrong. We have been brainwashed. We have been so much we have to get back to this information I'm reading, not the sidebar, but it's not for everybody. You have to really want it. You know, as in the Bible it says, seek thy, ask thy shall seek. Seek thy shall ask, ask thy shall be given, that thou shall be given. And I believe in that firmly because if you're searching for something and God wants you to know it's there, he's going to find all ways to make sure you understand that he is here. And to me, that's how people get peace. As I read earlier, science is nothing but God. God being religion, science, everything around us. If you want to feel connection with God, the more you get into the mathematics and your surroundings, you're going to feel God. You're going to feel his presence. You're going to feel how you feel because he knows how you feel because he's inside of you. She's inside of you. You know? So she's here. The Amen is a sphere of spiritual influences in our lives and it can be seen in the universal pursuit of inner peace. Nothing in life can be of value if we are not at peace with or in it. 
piece that is pervasive throughout one's life is called happiness. Due to ignorance of the law governing it, most people respond to the argue to peace, happiness in the wrong way. There is the common erroneous belief that happiness is to be found as the result of material acquisitions or, or accomplishments, coupled with the avoidance of elimination of painful experiences. As a result, people invest their energy and time in acquiring and accomplishing things, avoiding and eliminating people and events from their lives, etc. Instead of cultivating the spiritual skill of transcending their emotional and sensual conditionings. So once it is realized that no one can avoid setbacks, once it's realized that no one can avoid denials, once it's realized that no one can avoid catastrophes in life and no one will get everything they desire or get to always keep them, then the only wise thing that that can be done at that time is to secure your happiness. And it is an unsaleable inner peace. The Hatev, the Narvina, the Nir, the Na, the Ban, the moving. Narvina is near, not moving. Narvina, not moving. Narvina, Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana. You'll be peace, but you won't be able to move. Or you'll be peaceful while you're moving. But if you're not peaceful, then why don't move? Because sometimes the energy force is going to move you into a force of negative energy that you didn't want to move in. The best peace I've found in my life is just being still. It is through the spiritual cultivation that we speak of this. Because it is the importance of peace in our lives that can be seen in the fact that when we are at peace, as opposed to being upset or angry or afraid, etc., our thinking is clear. Our IQ is higher. We exhibit greater strength. We exhibit better health and healing. We perform better and so on. So two persons are physically assaulted. They both suffer physical pain. Now, in addition, person A, from that day on life's fear, anger, self-content, while person B remains at peace with the occurrence. So who is better off? And what's the emotional response experienced by person A? A logical, natural, unavoidable, desirable, productive, or essential sequel to the assault? And what about those people who would state naturally, I was so upset having these been assaulted in such a manner, but what does the assault let, what if it did lead to death? Is there any vitality in the universe which that the deceased rest in peace? Can the deceased rest in peace? And if he died in emotional turbulence, so if he died in emotional turbulence, is he resting in peace? Insurance statistics show that there is a very, very high percentage of illness and deaths following stressful events in people's lives. It doesn't matter if the events are highly painful or highly pleasurable. Strong emotional responses are all stressful on the body. And during such moments, you know, that we have that uh, cortisol to equip the body with the means of heightening interaction with the external environment. So blood is supplied to the organs of external actions, legs, arms, backs, etc., at the expense of blood supplied to the vital organs. 
Now, this is how people who are emotionally upset several times a day make themselves ill and shorten their lives. But it follows that then in a situation of challenge, since responding with anger or fear or etc., it is either detrimental to us at worst and at least a hindrance to our ability to respond in a peaceful manner. And the best manner that suits the situation is the only emotional response that is natural to us is none. I'm not going to respond. I don't have an answer. I don't have an excuse. I don't want to lie. I just want to go away. So for me to be at peace with anything else, I'm just be quiet. So if anger, fear, and fear in all forms of stress leads to illness, reduce the IQ, it reduces the mental comp- uh, components, competence, excuse me. All this right here, again, I'll read it again. The best matter that suits the situation is the only emotional response that is natural to us is none. Sometimes you just gotta avoid it all completely. Sometimes a response back could end in, I'm at your house. And at the house, I got a good night. Just no response is always the best response. Because again, you want to stay in a state of peace. If you're going to argue, I'm going to be in peace. Hang up the phone, block them, whatever it is. Give them a moment of their own space and time that you didn't want to go into at that time with them. You know, because if anger, fear, and all forms of stress leads to illness, then again, it's going to reduce your IQ. It's going to reduce your mental confidence and your performance. Your emotional response cannot be our nature. So it is not peace and calm, the antidote to stress. It is. It doesn't mean that we will live a life that is devoided of emotions. It just means that we will learn how to program at will the best emotional response to the various situations that life may present to you. And to always, and at one point, stay in control and keep your peace and your happiness. Because it's always important to realize that each and every time that we are confronted with a difficult or the potential to intuit the knowledge and to tap into spiritual power to deal with it is always present. So in other words, in such moments, we always have the potential to receive assistance from the bodiless mind and power whose presence is evidence by the mathematical structure of natural events, God. So, but our ability to make contact is blocked by our not being in harmony with the fundamental laws governing use of the knowledge and power that can be thus had. So we must first be one with all, so as to not to use such knowledge and power in a manner that is detrimental to ourselves and others, and to be one with all, we must have transcended our emotional nature. So can you imagine what it would be like if someone who is under the control of blind emotions were to have access to the greatest power in the world? <laughs> we would see in the following chapter that it is possible to be one with all. So without the ability to be at peace in all situations, we have to have peace in all situations. And that's why they say, the best state of emotional response is nothing at all. Thank you again. We'll conclude that in a moment. Alright, thank you again for joining me. 
Jeronu. Again, we are reading from Mayan, The Living Laws of God by Ru Ra'u Nefer Amen. You can go back on that when we were speaking. Applied to the daily living, it means that our natural responses to all events in life is peace. Peace is the face of the most difficult challenges in the face of the threat of death, in the face of the most imaginable inhuman treatment. You know, I mean, it is this that made Amen the highest aspect of God 14 in the Kemetic religion. We will later see how the manifestations of all spiritual powers in men depend on his or her ability to remain at peace. Hotep, Hetep, Narvina. True to her or his nature in the midst of life's most difficult challenges. And obviously on my podcast, um, as well as my Instagram, my change does not happen overnight. We have been <laughs> fed wrong. We have been brainwashed. We have been so much. We have to get back to this information I'm reading, not the sidebar, but it's not for everybody. You have to really want it. You know, as in the Bible, it says, seek thy, ask thy shall seek, seek thy shall ask, ask thy shall be forgiven, that thou shall be given. And I believe in that firmly because if you're searching for something and God wants you to know it's there, he's going to find all ways to make sure you understand that he is here. And to me, that's how people get peace. As I read earlier, science is nothing but God, God being religion, science, everything around us. If you want to feel connection with God, the more you get into the mathematics and your surroundings, you're going to feel God. You're going to feel his presence. You're going to feel how you feel because he knows how you feel because he's inside of you. She's inside of you, you know? So she's here. The amen is a sphere of spiritual influences in our lives, and it can be seen in the universal pursuit of inner peace. Nothing in life can be of value if we are not at peace with or in it. Peace that is pervasive throughout one's life is called happiness. Due to ignorance of the law governing it, most people respond to the argue to peace, happiness in the wrong way. There is the common erroneous belief that happiness is to be found as the result of material acquisitions or, or accomplishments, coupled with the avoidance of elimination of painful experiences. As a result, people invest their energy and time in acquiring and accomplishing things, avoiding and eliminating people and events from their lives, etc. Instead of cultivating the spiritual skill of transcending their emotional and sensual conditionings, so once it is realized that no one can avoid setbacks, once it's realized that no one can avoid denials, once it's realized that no one can avoid catastrophes in life, and no one will get everything they desired or get to always keep them, then the only wise thing that that can be done at that time is to secure your happiness. And it is an unsaleable inner peace. The Hetep, the Narvina, the Nir, the Na, the Vana, the moving. Narvina is near, not moving. Narvina, not moving. Narvina, Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana. You want to be peace, but you won't be able to move. Or you want to be peaceful while you're moving. But if you're not peaceful, then why don't move? 
because sometimes the energy force is going to move you into a force of negative energy that you didn't want to move in. The best peace I've found in my life is just being still. It is through the spiritual cultivation that we speak of this because it is the importance of peace in our lives that can be seen in the fact that when we are at peace, as opposed to being upset or angry or afraid, etc., our thinking is clear. Our IQ is higher. We exhibit greater strength. We exhibit better health and healing. We perform better and so on. So two persons are physically assaulted. They both suffer physical pain. Now, in addition, person A, from that day on life's fear, anger, self-content, while person B remains at peace with the occurrence. So who is better off? And what's the emotional response experienced by person A? A logical, natural, unavoidable, desirable, productive, or essential sequel to the assault? And what about those people who would state naturally, I was so upset having these been assaulted in such a manner, but what is the assault let, what if it did lead to death? Is there any vitality in the universe which that the deceased rest in peace? Can the deceased rest in peace? And if he died in emotional turbulence, so if he died in emotional turbulence, is he resting in peace? Insurance statistics show that there is a very, very high percentage of illness and deaths following stressful events in people's lives. It doesn't matter if the events are highly painful or highly pleasurable. Strong emotional responses are all stressful on the body. And during such moments, you know, that we have that uh, cortisol to equip the body with the means of heightening interaction with the external environment. So blood is supplied to the organs of external actions, legs, arms, backs, etc., at the expense of blood supplied to the vital organs. Now, this is how people who are emotionally upset several times a day make themselves ill and shorten their lives. But it follows that then in a situation of challenge, since responding with anger or fear or etc., it is either detrimental to us at worst and at least a hindrance to our ability to respond in a peaceful manner. And the best manner that suits the situation is the only emotional response that is natural to us is none. I'm not going to respond. I don't have an answer. I don't, I don't have an excuse. I don't want to lie. I just want to go away. So for me to be at peace with anything else, I'm going to just be quiet. <laughs> so if anger, fear, and fear in all forms of stress leads to illness, reduce the IQ, it reduces the mental comp uh, components, competence, excuse me. All this right here. Again, I'll read it again. The best matter that suits the situation is the only emotional response that is natural to us is none. Sometimes you just got to avoid it all completely. Sometimes a response back could end in, I'm at your house. And at the house, I got a gun now. It's just no response is always the best response. Because again, you want to stay in a state of peace. If you're going to argue, I'd rather be in peace. Hang up the phone, block them, whatever it is. Give them a moment of their own space and time that you didn't want to go into at that time with them. You know, because if anger, fear, and all forms of stress leads to illness, 
then that, again, it's going to reduce your IQ. It's going to reduce your mental competence and your performance. Your emotional response cannot be our nature. So it is not peace and calm, the antidote to stress. It is. It doesn't mean that we will live a life that is devoided of emotions. It just means that we will learn how to program at will the best emotional response to the various situations that life may present to you. And to always, in, at one point, stay in control and keep your peace and your happiness. Because it's always important to realize that each and every time that we are confronted with a difficult or the potential to intuit the knowledge and to tap into spiritual power to deal with it is always present. So in other words, in such moments, we always have the potential to receive assistance from the bodiless mind and power whose presence is evidence by the mathematical structure of natural events, God. So, but our ability to make contact is blocked by our not being in harmony with the fundamental laws governing use of the knowledge and power that can be thus had. So we must first be one with all so as to not to use such knowledge and power in a manner that is detrimental to ourselves and others. And to be one with all, we must have transcended our emotional nature. So can you imagine what it would be like if someone who is under the control of blind emotions were to have access to the greatest power in the world? <laughs> we would see in the following chapter that it is possible to be one with all. So without the ability to be at peace in all situations, we have to have peace in all situations. And that's why they say the best state of emotional response is nothing at all. Thank you again. We'll conclude that in a moment. Jun on new. All right. Thank you again for joining me. Jun on new. Again, we are reading from Mayan, The Living Laws of God by Ru Ra'u Nefer Amen. We can go back on that when we were speaking. Apply to the daily living. It means that our natural responses to all events in life is peace. Peace is the face of the most difficult challenges in the face of the threat of death, in the face of the most imaginable inhuman treatment. You know, I mean, it is this that made Amen the highest aspect of God 14 in the Kemetic religion. We will later see how the manifestations of all spiritual powers in men depend on his or her ability to remain at peace. Hotep, Hetep, Narvina. True to her or his nature in the midst of life's most difficult challenges. And I always say on my podcast, um, as well as my Instagram, like change does not happen overnight. We have been <laughs> fed wrong. We have been brainwashed. We have been so much. We have to get back to this information I'm reading, not the sidebar, but it's not for everybody. You have to really want it. You know, as in the Bible, it says, seek thy, ask thy shall seek, seek thy shall ask, ask thy shall be forgiven, that thou shall be given. And I believe in that firmly because if you're searching for something and God wants you to know it's there, he's going to find all ways to make sure you understand that he is here. 
And to me, that's how people get peace. As I read earlier, science is nothing but God, God being religion, science, everything around us. If you want to feel connection with God, the more you get into the mathematics and your surroundings, you're going to feel God. You're going to feel his presence. You're going to feel how you feel because he knows how you feel because he's inside of you. She's inside of you, you know? So she's here. The amen is a sphere of spiritual influences in our lives, and it can be seen in the universal pursuit of inner peace. Nothing in life can be of value if we are not at peace with or in it. Peace that is pervasive throughout one's life is called happiness. Due to ignorance of the law governing it, most people respond to the argue to peace, happiness in the wrong way. There is the common erroneous belief that happiness is to be found as the result of material acquisitions or, or accomplishments, coupled with the avoidance of elimination of painful experiences. As a result, people invest their energy and time in acquiring and accomplishing things, avoiding and eliminating people and events from their lives, etc. Instead of cultivating the spiritual skill of transcending their emotional and sensual conditionings. So once it is realized that no one can avoid setbacks, once it's realized that no one can avoid denials, once it's realized that no one can avoid catastrophes in life and no one will get everything they desired or get to always keep them, then the only wise thing that that can be done at that time is to secure your happiness. And it is an unsaleable inner peace. The Hetep, the Narvina, the Nir, the Na, the Vana, the moving. Narvina is near, not moving. Narvina, not moving. Narvina, Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana. You will be peace, but you won't be able to move. Or you'll be peaceful while you're moving. But if you're not peaceful, then why don't move? Because sometimes the energy force is going to move you into a force of negative energy that you didn't want to move in. The best peace I've found in my life is just being still. It is through the spiritual cultivation that we speak of this because it is the importance of peace in our lives that can be seen in the fact that when we are at peace, as opposed to being upset or angry or afraid, etc., our thinking is clear. Our IQ is higher. We exhibit greater strength. We exhibit better health and healing, we perform better, and so on. So two persons are physically assaulted. They both suffer physical pain. Now, in addition, person A, from that day on life's fear, anger, self-content, while person B remains at peace with the occurrence. So who is better off? And what's the emotional response experienced by person A? A logical, natural, unavoidable, desirable, productive, or essential sequel to the assault? And what about those people who would state naturally, I was so upset having these been assaulted in such a manner, but what is the assault let, what if it did lead to death? Is there any vitality in the universe which that the deceased rest in peace? Can the deceased rest in peace? And if he died in emotional turbulence, so if he died in emotional turbulence, is he resting in peace? 
insurance statistics show that there is a very, very high percentage of illness and deaths following stressful events in people's lives. It doesn't matter if the events are highly painful or highly pleasurable. Strong emotional responses are all stressful on the body. And during such moments, you know, that we have that uh, cortisol to equip the body with the means of heightening interaction with the external environment. So blood is supplied to the organs of external actions, legs, arms, backs, etc., at the expense of blood supplied to the vital organs. Now, this is how people who are emotionally upset several times a day make themselves ill and shorten their lives. But it follows that then in a situation of challenge, since responding with anger or fear or etc., it is either detrimental to us at worst and at least a hindrance to our ability to respond in a peaceful manner. And the best manner that suits the situation is the only emotional response that is natural to us is none. I'm not even going to respond. I don't have an answer. I don't, I don't have an excuse. I don't want to lie. I just want to go away. So for me to be at peace with anything else, I'm going to just be quiet. <laughs> so if anger, fear, and fear in all forms of stress leads to illness, reduce the IQ, it reduces the mental comp uh, components, competence, excuse me. All this right here. Again, I'll read it again. The best matter that suits the situation is the only emotional response that is natural to us is none. Sometimes you just got to avoid it all completely. Sometimes a response back could end in, I'm at your house. And at the house, I got a gun. It's just no response is always the best response. Because again, you want to stay in a state of peace. If you're going to argue, I'd rather be in peace. Hang up the phone, block them, whatever it is. Give them a moment of their own space and time that you didn't want to go into at that time with them. You know, because if anger, fear, and all forms of stress leads to illness, then that, again, it's going to reduce your IQ. It's going to reduce your mental competence and your performance. Your emotional response cannot be our nature. So it is not peace and calm, the antidote to stress. It is. It doesn't mean that we will live a life that is devoided of emotions. It just means that we will learn how to program at will the best emotional response to the various situations that life may present to you and to always and at one point stay in control and keep your peace and your happiness. Because it's always important to realize that each and every time that we are confronted with a difficult or the potential to intuit the knowledge and to tap into spiritual power to deal with it is always present. So in other words, in such moments, we always have the potential to receive assistance from the bodiless mind and power whose presence is evidenced by the mathematical structure of natural events, God. So, but our ability to make contact is blocked by our not being in harmony with the fundamental laws governing use of the knowledge and power that can be thus had. So we must first be one with all so as to not to use such knowledge and power in a manner that is detrimental to ourselves and others, and to be one with all, we must have transcended our emotional nature. So can you imagine 
What it would be like if someone who was under the control of blind emotions were to have access to the greatest power in the world. <laughs> we would see in the following chapter that it is possible to be one with all. So without the ability to be at peace in all situations, we have to have peace in all situations. And that's why they say the best state of emotional response is nothing at all. Thank you again. We'll conclude that in a moment. Je l'en know.